0: If you found your place in 1 Peter chapter 1, stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word as we begin in verse number 3. The scriptures read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for the precious, sacred scriptures that you've left us to instruct us. Father, we pray this morning that anything that is said or done would be done to glorify God and to to lift up the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing that's obvious in my sermon this morning is a good thing I went to the eye doctor this week and got some new glasses on the way because my arms are not quite long enough to see anymore. But we are continuing our, our series of sermons on the cross of Christ, and this morning we look at the cross of hope, the cross of hope. We've looked at the cross in the last few weeks and we see that the cross to people in the time of Jesus, in the time of the writings of the New Testament, the cross could be a symbol of suffering, a symbol of shame, a symbol of guilt. But now we see it as a symbol of hope. We see it as a symbol of hope, and next week we'll talk about it being a symbol of grace. Up to the, 14, up to the 4th century, the cross was still viewed as a symbol of shame and punishment. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his church, the Roman Empire had brutally tried to stamp out Christianity and its claims of being the only way to eternal life. But it was during the reign of Constantine that the cross went from a symbol of degrading despair to a symbol of hope for all people. Constantine began to search out and to seek and to pray and to understand that there must be one true God. In the pantheon of gods that he saw there in the Roman Empire, Constantine began to have a longing and a desire in his heart to understand that there must be one true God, and that one true God who controls the destiny of eternity. And so as Constantine began to search this out, God it said that God sent him a vision of a cross. And he told Constantine, he spoke to him, and he told him that this was the symbol by which he would live the rest of his life and the symbol by which he would follow him. Constantine became a Christian convert, and not long afterwards, he would do away with the, the form of crucifixion. And he began to establish Christianity as the recognized religion and begin to build churches and begin to provide for the poor In all of his land and since this point in history the cross has become our great symbol of hope hope is described this way hope is said to be a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen what are you hoping for what is the hope of your heart what is the desire of your heart what is that thing that keeps you motivated and moving as a Christian Our lives should be motivated and marked by this sense of hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what is happening, no matter what our circumstances are, we have the hope of Jesus Christ. It is a hope that was forged on the cross, and it is a hope that was made visible by his resurrection from the grave. Now Peter begins to write to a first century group of Jewish people who had been converted to Christianity, and he begins to write to them about a message of hope. Peter will serve as a bridge to hold together all of these diverse people in the first church who come to know Christ as their Savior. If you remember, Peter preaches the great sermon there on the day of Pentecost, and on that day we see that there are probably 14 languages that are spoken among the people who are there And who become the first converts to the church. And we understand that this is a great diverse group of people. And Peter becomes that first bridge to them in extending the grace of the gospel. Peter will become the apostle specifically to the Jews of Palestine. And now he's writing to this church. The churches there who are beginning to experience a little bit of persecution. And here's what Peter begins to remind them of. He reminds them of two specific things. Number one, you have a heavenly hope in Jesus Christ. You have a heavenly hope. And secondly, you have an eternal inheritance with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, because of this, I'm encouraging you to persevere through any type of suffering That you may come in contact with. He wants them to concentrate as believers. On living a life that is pleasing to God. That is most exemplified by living a life of love to other people. And he wants them to glorify God in their everyday life. And imitate Christ in all that they do. And Peter begins here in the verses that we read. He begins in verse number 3 by talking about this great living hope, and and because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, our salvation is due to that God's great mercy and God's great grace. He miraculously gave sinners new life. He says we are born again because of this living hope. Have you seen any miracles lately? Have you read about any miracles lately? I've read and and heard about miracles that that have happened to people's health and people's different things in their lives and situations. Some of you are miracles sitting here on these very pews. Some of you have experienced miracles in your health and miracles in your life. We've seen these different things happen to people, and we know that it's the hand of God. But you know what the greatest miracle of all is? The greatest miracle of all is that God would take someone dead in their sins, dead in, in, in spiritually, and he would take and he would breathe life into them and they would be born again. That he would take them from death spiritually to being alive and to being, having a living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the greatest miracle and it happens every day all around the world. I I think about this time of year. I think about the springtime of the year. And, And what a wonderful reminder it is of God's great grace and mercy and how we can just look outside and see and understand all that is going on in God's world. We see us coming from the dead of winter to the lifelessness of winter and to everything being born afresh and sprouting up new And all the beauty of God's creation that we see around us. And it should be a reminder to us as we go through these next couple of weeks of the wonder of Easter and the life of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our living hope. And as Christians, we have this hope because of the future resurrection that we will share. We have a belief that is an unshakable hope for the future because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is itself a pledge to us that someday we will ourselves experience a future resurrection and be united with him. Now, Peter uses some words here that are great words for us to look at and to be reminded of why we have this hope. He uses the word inheritance. Now, he's writing to a group of people who used to believe as the Old Testament Jews did. They used to believe that their inheritance was the land that they lived in there in Palestine. They used to believe that their inheritance was this place where they lived there and where God had promised Abraham that he would bring them to. And so they believed that this was their inheritance and that this was Israel's place in it. But now they're beginning to understand that that was just a glimpse of what lay ahead. That they have an even greater inheritance and that it is reserved in heaven. And it is reserved for these people who have believed in the new covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about this. Think about the words that Peter uses to describe this inheritance. First of all, he says, our inheritance is imperishable. There's nothing that can tarnish our inheritance or extinguish it. It is safe and secure in the hands of God. Now, a lot of inheritances vanish before you ever get a chance to attain them. I make the joke a lot of times. If I want to see my inheritance, I go to Gatlinburg and look at the places where my mom and dad go three four times a year, and I visit my inheritance. But we, we look at this life, and we know that an inheritance can fade away real quick. Cornelius Vanderbilt borrowed $100 dollars, and turned that $100 into $100 million. He borrowed $100 in the early 1800s and turned it by the late 1800s into $100 million. Six generations later, the only person who's named Vanderbilt that still has any money is named Gloria Vanderbilt, and she realized that her inheritance was going away and she became a fashionista, and created a brand, and now she's the only Vanderbilt left that has any money. Mike Tyson, the former world heavyweight champion, earned over $400 million in his career. Today, Mike Tyson sits somewhere millions of dollars in debt. Inheritances can pass away. 90% of family fortunes are lost within three generations. 70% of family fortunes are lost within two generations. Get this, 70% of people who win $1 million or more in the lottery wind up bankrupt. But get this, Peter says here that I have an inheritance that is imperishable. I have an inheritance that nothing can touch and nothing can take and nothing can ever extinguish it. He goes on to use these descriptive words, Peter does, when he says that our inheritance is undefiled. It has absolutely no defect or flaw. You may inherit granddaddy's uh, shotgun someday only to get it and realize it doesn't have a firing pin or a trigger. But when you inherit what you inherit from Jesus, it is undefiled, it has no defect, it has no flaw, and it is there for eternity. He says it is unfading. Walk through the cemeteries around us and look at the the tombstones from generations ago and you'll notice that the inscriptions gradually fade away. But Peter says here, we have an inheritance with the Lord Jesus Christ that will never fade away. He says that it is kept in heaven and no one can touch it, no one can steal it. He goes on to tell us how it's kept. He says it is kept by the power of God. That word power in the Greek is dunamis. It's the word that we use to get our word dynamite from. And that word is the most powerful word in all of Scripture to talk about power. And it is the power of God and there's no other power like it on this earth. And by the power of God, our inheritance is guarded and kept, and God will also protect us as believers and sustain our faith until the last time when we meet Christ in the resurrection. He talks about an inheritance, and then he tells us that we can have joy in every situation. Now, the group that Peter is writing to has begun to experience some discrimination because of their Christian faith. Because of their faith in Christ, They are beginning to be shunned socially. And they are beginning to be discriminated against in the workplace. And Peter realizes this. He's heard these people talk about this. And he says to them, these things are going to happen. Guess what? These things may happen to you and I also. They may happen to me. They may happen to you. You may be shunned socially. You may face uh, discrimination in your workplace because of your faith in Christ. But you know what? Some of the greatest Christian personalities that we know of suffered much greater things. As I was writing this, I thought about the great Corrie ten Boom that we read about in history. Corrie ten Boom was born in the Netherlands in 1892 in a family of watchmakers. Her grandfather had built a watchmaking shop in 1837, and the family still managed that business. In 1922, Corrie ten Boom became the first female licensed watchmaker in Holland. She had a bright future that was filled with hope. But in May 1940, the Nazis invaded the Netherlands. And Corrie ten Boom's family decided to take their watchmaking shop where they lived upstairs and to take some of the hidden compartments there and to hide Jewish people who were going to be sent to concentration camps and to provide them safe passage out of the Netherlands. In February of 1944, Corey Ten Boone's family were betrayed by an informant and all of her family were arrested and put into prison. Her 84-year-old father was condemned to death. Corey and her sister, Betsy, were sent to the Ravensbrück, Concentration camp. They were able to stay together until December 16, 1944, when Corey's sister Betsy died. Days before her death, Betsy said these words to Corey, which many people still quote to this day There is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. And she went on to tell Corey. They will listen to us, Corey, because we have been here. Twelve days after Betsy's death, Corey was miraculously released from prison due to a clerical error. One week after her release, all of the female prisoners from her age group were killed. Corey Ten Boom wrote a great book called *The Hiding Place*, and this is a passage from that book. During their time in the concentration camp. After long, hard days of work, Corey and her sister Betsy held worship services in their barracks with the other women using a Bible they had managed to sneak into the camp. Corey writes in her book, The Hiding Place, At first, Betsy and I called these meetings with great timidity. But as night after night went by and no guard ever came near us, we grew bolder. A single meeting might include a recital of the Magnificat in Latin by a group of Roman Catholics, a whispered hymn by some Lutherans, and a salto voiced chant by Eastern Orthodox women. With each moment, the crowd around us would swell. At last, either Betsy or I would open the Bible. Because only the Hollanders could understand the Dutch text, we would translate aloud in German, and then we would hear the life-giving words passed back along the aisles in French, Polish, Russian, Czech, and back in the Dutch. They were little previews of heaven these evenings beneath the light bulb. After being released at age 53, Corey Tim Boom began a worldwide ministry that would take her to 60 nations, declaring the gospel as our great hope. Peter is encouraging his audience here. Guess what? In this life, you're going to be grieved by various trials for just a little while. But he says, don't give up hope because this life is so short compared to the eternity that is awaiting us as believers. So don't give up hope. Some of these discriminations and harassments were meant to test the genuineness of their faith. God allowed some of these things to happen to some of these people so that their faith would grow stronger, so that their courage would grow bolder, so that their testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ would be purified and shown to be genuine. This type of faith has a great reward from Christ himself when he returns and we meet him in the resurrection. Our faith will sometimes be tested by the fires of this life, but here is our great hope, a Christian faith has the ability to stand the test of fire, Peter says, better than even the gold that is refined. When they refine gold, they put it in a very hot furnace, and it burns off every piece of trash and everything that is not pure about that gold. It burns it away, and when it comes out on the other side of that oven, it is as pure as it can be. Sometimes in the trials of life, God has allowed us to be there because there are, there are things that he's taken away from us. There are things that he's purging us of. There are, there, are dis, there are things in our lives that displease him. And sometimes he allows us to go through these trials so that we come out refined in our hearts. Joy, this is so wonderful. Joy is not only for the future, when Jesus will be clearly seen physically at his revelation, but we have the hope that even now, In this life, as we walk every day, we have the hope that we love him, we believe him, and we rejoice with an inexpressible joy in our everyday life. And the end result is our eternal salvation, which will be the completion of God's saving work in our lives. And better than all this, we have the privilege of knowing Christ. We have the privilege of knowing Christ in a way that others were never able to know before. Peter writes to this group of people, in verse, beginning in verse number 10, he begins to tell them that concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They inquired what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was, it was revealed to them That they were serving, not themselves, but you. That they were serving us. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The Old Testament prophets. Those Old Testament men who wrote the words prophesying the coming of a Messiah. They couldn't see clearly when all these things were going to happen and when they would come true they foretold his suffering and they foretold the glory that would be revealed in him but their hearts longed to know when this would happen they hoped that it would happen in the days that they were riding but they all began to pass away not seeing exactly when these things would happen one of the great blessings that we have received as believers is the fact that we understand what even the prophets of old couldn't understand. We understand what they longed for. Think about these great men, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. They longed as they wrote these words, as God began to reveal to them through the Holy Spirit, as He began to reveal to them that a Messiah was coming. And they longed to know exactly when, and they longed to know, and they longed to know this and be a part of it. But they weren't allowed to. But well, guess what? You were. You're allowed to know it. You're allowed to be a part of it. You're allowed to be in Christ because of these, uh, the, the great prophecies of old that these men longed for. You understand all that there is to know about Christ and His, His birth, His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and His return someday you understand something that the angels themselves are longing to understand but don't have the privilege. What a great hope it is that we have a heart renewed by the forgiveness of Christ because of the cross of Christ and the hope of that we have this great forgiveness that these others longed to know when will this happen and the angels long to be a part of we continue to look at the cross of Christ and we continue to see this cross of forgiveness and this cross of hope and we'll look at the cross and its cross of grace and as we approach Easter Sunday we look at this great hope because we know that there was a Friday afternoon where everything to those who had followed Jesus Everything looked hopeless. Even to the most loyal believer and follower of Jesus as they stood there at the cross, John being the only disciple who would remain with Christ there to the bitter end. All of the people around them were lamenting and hurting and seemed crushed and without hope because that Friday afternoon as the skies grew dark, And as Christ uttered the final words that he would say before his death, as he said, it is finished. And as he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. As he said these words, obviously it looked bleak and it looked hopeless and it looked dark for all those who had been following Jesus. But oh, Sunday morning, But Sunday morning, the two Marys went to the tomb. To anoint Jesus on that Sunday morning. They went to anoint his body. And as they walked toward the tomb. They began to ask each other. Who is going to roll away the stone for us. So that we can get in. Who is going to take care of that. And as they approached the tomb. They noticed that the stone has been rolled away. And an angel in all his brilliance. Sits there waiting on them. And he says to him, Hey. This Jesus that you're looking for, he's not here anymore. This Jesus that they took from that cross, this Jesus that they took lifeless and dead from that cross and they placed him in this tomb, this Jesus has now resurrected just the way that he said that he would. And they say these words, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee there you will see him just as he told you. Think about how he specifically says his disciples, and then he says, and Peter. Because if anyone felt hopeless more than anyone else, it was Peter. Because there in those final hours, he had denied the one that he loved more than any. And he never had the opportunity to express to Christ that he was sorrowful. And ashamed for what he had done. And now, now the angel tells the Marys, Go and tell Peter that Jesus is going on to Galilee, And he wants to see him specifically. Peter understood the hope of the cross better than anyone on that day. Peter understood the hope of the resurrection and the hope of eternity Better than anyone else on that day. And Peter takes the time here to write this message to this church that is suffering persecution and suffering some some, uh, discomfort and heartache over their faith in Christ. And he says, just hold on. Just hold on. This is only for a little while. I've seen him resurrected. I've touched him resurrected. I've heard him resurrected. I watched him ascend into glory resurrected and i know that someday even though i will die and, and my physical body will lie down in this earth someday he will return again and i know that i will have a resurrection and my body will be like his and i will live with him for eternity that's the hope of the cross that's the message of the cross The cross is no longer a symbol of shame and no longer a symbol of guilt. You don't have to be guilty anymore. You don't have to feel shame anymore. You don't have to bear the burden of religion anymore. You can have the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a heart that has born again through the Spirit of Christ. What better way to end a Sunday morning than to give your life to Christ? What better way to end a Sunday morning, one of the most beautiful days that we've seen in months, as you walk out into this glorious sunlight, what better way to walk out knowing that there is new life in you, that you've been born again. Darren, come, would you stand, Father, as we come to this point in this service. I thank you for the message, the hope of the cross. I thank you that I'm not guilty. I thank you that I don't have to bear shame anymore I thank you that no matter what the circumstances around me are I can have the hope of life eternal through the cross of Christ and through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ father I am certain this morning that your Holy Spirit is speaking to souls this morning and directing them to Christ I pray this morning that beyond anything else that every person who has the hope of Christ already born in them, we're praying for those individuals. And I pray that you would take any hindrance from their mind, any hindrance from their heart, any hindrance that's around them, and I pray this morning that they would reach out to you and just simply say, Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I know that I am a sinner. Father, I want you to forgive me of the sin in my life. And I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I never want to turn back and follow those sins again, but I want to follow Jesus. Father, for everyone this morning who is feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit in their heart, I pray that you would deliver them through Christ and His forgiveness. Father, if there are any who just need to come and pray, if there are any who need to make decisions for baptism, for church membership for any other reason I pray that they would be bold enough to stand this morning and share that with us I ask all these things in Jesus precious name Amen as we have this time of invitation if you need to know Christ as your Savior I'm here, I can show you through Scripture exactly how to do that if there's any other decision you need to make this morning, would you come and share